Chapter Twenty One of the Pennycum Quicks. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Pennycum Quicks by Sabine Baring Gould. Chapter Twenty One Hyacinth Bulbs. The figure seen in the dark had diverted Philip from his purpose of speaking to Salome about money. He was not particularly eager to make his proposal because that proposition had in it a smack of evasion of an offer already made as though he had speedily repented of the liberality of the first in this there was some moral cowardice such as is found in all but blunt natures and induces them to catch at excuses for deferring an unpleasant duty there exists a wide gulf between two sorts of persons the one shrinks and shivers at the obligations to say or do anything that may pain another the other rushes at the chance with avidity like a hornet impatient to sting on this occasion philip had a real excuse for postponing what he had come out to say for salome was not in a frame of mind to attend to it she was alarmed and bewildered by this second encounter with a man whose face she had not seen and who was so mysterious in his proceedings accordingly philip went to bed that night without having discharged the unpleasant task and with the burden still weighing on him next day when he returned from the factory in ascending the stairs he met salome descending with her hands full of hyacinth glasses purple yellow and green and a pair tucked under her arms she smiled recognition and the faintest tinge of color mounted to her face her foot halted held suspended for a moment on the step and philip flattered himself that she desired to speak to him yet lacked the courage to address him accordingly he spoke first volunteering his assistance oh thank you she replied i am merely taking the glasses and bulbs to the pummy cupboard again thank you in english is the equivalent for s'il vous plaît and not of merci he said so i shall carry some of the glasses but what is the pummy cupboard you do not know the names of the nooks and corners of your own house said salome laughing my sister and i gave foolish names to different rooms and closets when we were children and they have retained them or we have not altered them i had put the bulbs in a closet under the staircase till we thought of changing quarters and then i removed them so as to pack them it was whilst i was thus engaged that i saw that strange inexplicable figure for the first time now that i know we are to remain here i have put them in glasses to taste water and am replacing them in the dark in the cupboard have you many a couple of dozen named bulbs all good i will help you to carry down the glasses and roots where are they in the drawing-room we kept the glasses there all summer in the chiffonnier i hope you will be able to spare me one or two for my study of course you shall have a supply in your window they were procured partly for mr pennycum quick and partly for my mother you say of course but i do not see the force of the words remember i have had a lodging-house experience my sense of the fitness of things is framed on that model and my landlady never said of course to anything i suggested which would give me pleasure but cost her some trouble I am like Caspar Hauser, of whom you may have heard. He was brought up in a solitary dark cell, and denied everything except bare necessities. 
when he escaped and came among men he had no notion how to behave and was lost in amazement to find they were not all jailers i had on my chimney-piece two horrible sprigs of artificial flowers originally from a bride-cake that from length of existence and accumulation of soot were become so odious that at last i burnt them the landlady made me pay for them as though they were choice orchids you must not make me laugh said salome or i shall drop the glasses from under my arms then let me take them said philip promptly you have two in your hands that suffices i tire you with my reminiscences of lodging-house life not at all they divert me it is the only subject on which my conversation flows i do not know why it is that when i speak on politics i have a difficulty in expressing my ideas but when i come on landladydom the words boil out of my heart like the water from a newly tapped artesian well i have a great mind to tell you of my scarborough experiences do so once when i was out of sorts i went to the sea-coast for a change but i am detaining you well i will put down the glasses and bulbs in the pummy cupboard and return to hear your story instead of going downstairs with salome philip though he had relieved her of two glasses went with them to the drawing-room whence she had taken them which was in no way assisting her moreover when he was there he put down the glasses on the table and began examining the names of the bulbs double pink blush single china blue the queen of the yellows and so on he had offered to help salome but he was doing nothing of the kind he waited till she had filled the glasses with water planted a couple of bulbs in them and consigned them to the depths of the cupboard when she returned to the parlor he was still examining the names of the tubers now said he i will tell you about my landlady at scarborough he made no attempt to carry down glasses he detained the girl from prosecuting her work i was at scarborough for a week and when i left my lodgings the landlady charged me thirty shillings for a toilet set because there was a crack in the soap dish i had not injured it i pointed out the fact that the crack was gray with age that the discoloration betokened antiquity but she was inaccessible to reason impossible to convince the injury done to the soap-dish spoiled the whole set she said and i must pay for an entire set i might have contested the point at law but it was hardly worth my while so i agreed to pay the thirty shillings only i stipulated that i should carry off the fractured soap-dish with me then she resisted the soap-dish she argued could be of no use to me i must leave it and at last when i persisted in my resolve she let me off with a couple of shillings but why because the cracked soap-dish was to her a source of revenue every lodger for years had been bled on account of that crack to the tune of thirty shillings and that cracked soap-dish was worth many pounds per annum to that wretched woman then with a sudden tightening of the muscles at the corner of his mouth he added i know their tricks and their ways i have been brought up among landladies as romulus was nursed by a wolf and jupiter was reared among goats i suppose there are good lodging-house keepers as well as bad ones said salome laughing 
charity hopeth all things answered philip grimly but i never came across one just as colliers acquire a peculiar stoop and walk and horse-dealers a special twist in conscience and sailors a peculiar waddle engendered by their professions so does lodging-house-keeping produce a warp and crick and callousness in women with which they were not born you do not know what it is you cannot know what it is to be brought up and to form one's opinions among landladies it forces one to see the world to contemplate life through their medium as through lenses that break and distort all rays do you recall what the king of israel said when the king of syria sent to him naaman to be healed of his leprosy yes answered salome see how he seeketh a quarrel against me exactly and those who live in furnished lodgings are kept continually in the king of israel's frame of mind whatever the landlady does whatever she leaves undone when she rolls her eyes round the room when she sweeps with them the carpet one is always saying to oneself see how this woman seeketh a quarrel against me landladies are the cantharides of our nineteenth-century civilization the great source of blister and irritation even a man of means who has not to count his shillings must feel his wretchedness in lodgings but consider the apprehensions the unrest that must possess a man pinched in his circumstances who lives among landladies her eye continued philip who had warmed to his subject is ever searching for spots on the carpet fraying of sofa edges tears in the curtains scratches in the mahogany chips in the marble mantelpiece i think it was among quarles's emblems that i saw a picture of a man's career among traps and snares on every side in lodgings every article of furniture is a gin ready to snap on you if you use it then philip took up two hyacinth glasses one yellow the other blue but put down that which was blue and took up another that was yellow not for aesthetic predilection but to prolong the time it was a real relief to him to unburden his memory of its gall to go through his recollections like a jew on the pascal preparation searching for and casting out every scrap of sour leaven i dare say you are wondering miss cussworth he said to what this preamble on landladies is leading salome looked amused and puzzled so perhaps is the reader philip had been as he said for so many years in furnished lodgings and had for so many years had before his eyes nothing but a prospect of spending all his days in them and of expiring in the arms of lodging-house keepers that he had come to loathe the life now that his financial position was altered and before him opened a career unhampered and unsoured by pecuniary difficulties a desire woke up in him to enjoy a more cheerful social life than that of his experience now the difference between the days in his uncle's house at murgatroyd and those he had spent in lodgings at nottingham did not differ radically it was true that he no longer had the tongue of a landlady hanging over his head like a sword of damocles but his day was no brighter quite as colourless he was beneath the same roof with an old lady who belonged as his suspicious eye told him to the same clay as that out of which the landlady is modelled only circumstances had not developed in her the pugnacity and acridity of the class 
in herself she was an uninteresting person whom only the love and respect of her daughters could invest with any favor but those daughters were both charming his prejudice against salome was gone completely that against janet almost gone as his suspicions of salome left his dislike of janet faded simultaneously he had conceived a mistrust of salome because he had conceived an aversion against janet now that he began to like salome this liking influenced his regard for the sister the society of his aunt was no gain to philip he disapproved of her lack of principle and disliked her selfishness the tone of her mind and talk were repugnant to him and lambert and he would never become friends because the cement of common interests was lacking philip discovered himself not infrequently during the day looking at the office clock and wishing that work time were over not that he wearied of his work but that he was impatient to be home and have a chance of a word with salome when he returned from the factory if he did not meet her in the hall or on the stairs or see her in the garden he was disappointed it was remarkable how many wants he discovered that necessitated a descent to mrs cusworth's apartments and how when he entered and found that one of the daughters was present his visit was prolonged and the conversation was not confined to his immediate necessity if on his entering the tea-table was covered he was easily persuaded to remain for a cup his reserve his coldness did not wholly desert him except when he was alone with salome when her freshness and frankness exercised on him a relaxing fascination all his restraint fell away at once and he became natural talkative and cheerful the fact of the matter is said philip i have been lifting the veil to you that covers furnished lodging-house life and exposing my wretchedness to enlist your sympathy because i am about to ask a considerable favor i am sure we need no persuasion to do what we can for you it is this if your mother would not object i should like to have my meals with you all just as my uncle was wont having everything served in my room recalls my past with too great intensity i have heard of a prisoner who had spent many years in the bastille that in after life when free he could not endure to hear the clink of fire-irons it recalled to him his chains if there be things at which my soul revolts it is steak chops cutlets oh it would indeed be a pleasure to us such a pleasure and Salome's face told Philip that what she spoke she felt. The color deepened in her cheeks, and the dimples formed at the corners of her mouth. And now, she said, still with the smile on her face playing about her lips, and now, Mr. Penny, come quick, you will not be angry if I ask you a favor. I angry? Must I enlist your sympathy first of all, and inveigle you into promising before you know what the request is i am about to make i might tell you that a young girl like me has a little absurd pride in her and that it is generous of a man to respect it let it stand and not knock it over what is the favor i am too cautious have been too long in a lawyer's office to undertake anything the particulars and nature of which i do not know it is this mr pinny come quick 
i want you not to say another word about your kind and liberal offer to me i will not accept it not on any account because i have no right to it so that is granted miss cussworth i will not hear of this philip's face darkened though not a muscle moved why do you ask this of me what is the meaning of your refusal i will not take that to which i have no right she replied firmly you have a right answered philip somewhat sharply you know as well as i do that my uncle intended to provide for you at least as he did for mrs baines it was not his wish that you should be left without proper provision i know nothing of the sort what he put into my hands was merely an evidence that he had at one time proposed to do an unfair thing and that he repented of it in time miss cussworth that cancelled will still remains to me a mystery and i do not see how i shall ever come to an understanding of how it was that the signature was gone from your account my uncle never mind going over that question again as you say an understanding of the mystery will never be reached allow it to remain unattempted i am content but miss cussworth we do not offer you a handsome but a moderate provision you cannot force me to take what i refuse to receive who was that king to whom molten gold was offered he shut his teeth against the draught so do i i clench mine and you cannot force them open what is the meaning of this why do you refuse to have my uncle's wishes carried out you put us in an invidious position salome had shut her mouth she shook her head the pretty dimples were in her cheeks her color had deepened someone has been talking to you said philip i know there has who was it salome again shook her head with a provoking smile dappling and dimpling her face but seeing that philip was seriously annoyed it faded and she broke silence there is a real favor you can do us mr pennycumquick if you will what is that asked philip his ease and cheerfulness were gone he was angry for he was convinced that mrs sidebottom had said something to the girl which had induced her to refuse the offer it is this mamma had all her money matters managed for her by dear mr pennycumquick she did not consult us about them and we knew and know nothing about her property i do not know how much she has and in what investment it is she did not i believe understand much about these affairs herself she trusted all to the management of mr pennycumquick he was so clever so kind and he did everything for her without giving her trouble but now that he is gone i fancy she is worried and bewildered about these things she does not understand them and she has been fretting recently because she supposes that she has encountered a great loss but that is impossible she has touched nothing since mr pennycumquick died and what he had invested for her must certainly have been invested securely it is not conceivable that she has lost since his death i have been puzzling my head about the matter and i suspect that some of her vouchers have got among mr pennycumquick's papers and she fancies they are lost to her it is of course possible as he kept the management of her little monies 
that some of her securities may have been taken with his if you would kindly look into this matter for her i am sure she will be thankful and so without saying will i if you can disabuse her mind of the idea that she has met with heavy losses you will relieve her of a great haunting trouble i will do this cheerfully but this does not affect the obligation my teeth are set again but see you offered to carry down my glasses and you have not done so you have moreover hindered me in my work the house doorbell was rung my aunt muttered philip i know the touch of her hand on the knocker or bell pull i am beginning to entertain towards her some of the feelings i had towards my landladies in the old unregenerate lodging-house days confound her why should she come now End of chapter twenty one